Amen. In Revelation 5, verses 11 through 13, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand, basically millions and millions. And they encircled the throne and the living creature and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And when you think about what Jesus did, leaving the, leaving the perfection of heaven and coming to earth and walking in our shoes, and uh, enduring suffering and rejection and all that he went through, and then uh, yet without sin, and then taking our sin on himself, and uh, taking, our, taking the penalty of death on him, dying for our sins, he is worthy. Mm-hmm. Dear brother, sister, he is worthy mm. to um, open the scrolls and to um, be Lord. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and we're here to celebrate that this morning. This next song we did a few weeks ago, but I feel the message is so powerful, and I love how in the verses um, I'll ask you all a question, and then you all respond, and I just love how that correlates, and then we all sing the chorus together.
We'll open it up for a testimony. If anyone has a testimony or a prayer request or something you'd like to share, uh, feel free to speak out.
Yes. And in our lives together, Lord, you have given us a word of reconciliation, a word, Lord, of hope, a word of encouragement, a word that is the great good news to mankind, or that word that we can be reconciled to God. Amen, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would just place a fire in our hearts, Lord, and a desire to see souls come to know you, Lord, and to experience the hope that's in you, Lord Jesus. And uh, revive us again, Lord.
Shepherd, may I sing your praise within your house forever, within your house forever. I've had a couple comments in the last couple weeks that have really made me think again of what our witness and our testimony is to others. When we are known to be a Christian in the world that we work with, I mean, and we all work in different workplaces and different atmospheres, but I have tried to make it a point to let people know that I am a Christian. And one of the reasons is, is language greatly improves, um, usually if they know. And not always, but a lot of times it does. And I've made it a very specific point to bring God into a conversation or to know that. And people I've worked with for years, it's kind of interesting they they know who I am, they know what I would stand for, and they wouldn't profess anything. But at the same thing, time, they know what I would profess. And they like to complain to me about other Christians. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that how, when they do that, how much they are watching our testimony. And again to myself, it's become clear to me again that I need to be careful, not only of my testimony to such a great cloud of witness that is watching me to jesus who himself is watching me but also to the others that are around they are watching whether they say it or not they are watching to see who i am what i am and why i am doing the things i'm doing and it is a testimony to them whether they say it or not and i just i want to say that as an encouragement also as a testimony to you guys but also as an encouragement be diligent in your walk with god especially around others, because I think it is something they're watching more than we might even see. And I, I find it interesting when they want to complain about other Christians. And then it actually gives me an opportunity to share and to actually point out maybe their own complaining um, <laughs> in their own, what they're groaning about with the other people is that we need to be careful with that and what God, and if you, and usually God is very faithful to give me a verse to go with that to them. But I want to be diligent in my Christian walk so as not, not only for myself, not only my relationship with God, but in that there is more of a relationship that others are watching. And I want that to be a saving knowledge to them just as much as it is mine. I want it to be for them that it can come about to that. Thanks, Gary. Um, what's who, somebody... Um, there's a saying that goes, you might be the only Bible that somebody will ever read mm. the life that you live. All right, well, one thing I have noticed, um, and I don't know if it's just me or if you all notice this too, but the church at large in other countries is more energetic when it comes to singing Sunday morning. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out a call to you all to uh, stand up, if you can, if, you, if you're, you know, if there's something that you can't stand that's totally fine but those who are able to stand up and let's all uh, sing our hearts out this next one the battle belongs to the Lord in heavenly armor will enter the land the battle belongs 
Amen. Who has a testimony this morning? The Lord is on your side. Amen. Amen. The battle belongs to him. Sing one more song. Victory in Jesus.
bought me, and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Lord, amen. All right, you can be seated, and I will turn the time over. All right, the children come forward. Lexi, I can't do it without you. I've been missing you up here. I've waited like four Sundays. Well, it takes a, my wife to get anything done. Where's the little guy? No, Caden, but where's the other one? Where's John's youngest? He's laying on the floor trying to disappear? Okay. All right, Lexi, those boots should really bob with those things swinging off the side there like that. They should really get going. <laughs> All right, what's one of the new ones we haven't sang for a while? Um, I was trying to think of my... Oh. John, you want to come up and lead that? <laughs> um, walk, walk, walk. What? Walking in the... Uh, Walk, walk, walk in the light. Oh, somebody special? God made me somebody special. Somebody special. Yes, sir. God made me somebody special. Somebody special. Yes, sir. Knows each time I need him, he hears my humble prayer. He sees when things get hairy, and all I can feel is defeat. God made me somebody special, somebody special. Yes, sir. God made me somebody special, somebody special, yes, sir. Did you guys get them all? Did you get the Harry? It's kind of weird about the hair. <laughs> um, I've got the joy, joy, joy. Okay, so you guys want to ask the question or answer? Well, you want to say where or you want to ask? You want them to ask or you want to ask? Oh, both of us. So we'll have them, we'll have them ask, oh no. We'll have you guys ask first and then they'll ask second. 
All right. I've got... No, that's way too long. Okay, A. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. No, 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 no. We're asking. They're answering. I didn't hear a peep out of here either. I've got the joy. No, uh-uh. Okay. Shh. You don't say where. You'll get your chance. Okay. It's their job. See if they even have anything. They're so, they're just, huh, huh, huh. Okay. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of this they got the tongue twister all right now you guys have to be quiet and then you have to outdo their wear their wear was pretty good okay i've got the wonderful love of my blessed redeemer way down in the depths of my heart down in the depths of my heart down in the depths of my heart i've got the wonderful love of my blessed redeemer way down in the depths of my heart down in the depths of my heart up here just haven't been as good since Michael decided he got too tall for children's songs. <laughs> hmm. Okay. All right. So what's another one? Hmm? Cast your burdens? I know, but they just love to see Jason on the floor. And I'm so glad this is one I don't lead. <sighs> it works out so nicely. Oh, wow, you got a short cord, don't you? You're wrapped up tight up without even trying to. Are you ready? You ready, Benny? All right. All right. Everybody gets the help for this one. Sorry, I make you do it every time, but it's just how the song goes. Okay, so, give <laughs> so Go ahead and stand up. All right, here we go. You ready? Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for He cares for you.
to Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. I never thought I could ever get you guys all laying on the floor. <laughs> I can't. Jason does. Um, good job. Okay. I even seen those bobby things on your boots going all crazy. <laughs> they were like, woo, woo, woo. They were going higher, higher. <laughs> they were doing their own little flap thing there. All right. Um... What's the other one? I'm trying to remember what those songs were. I'm all of a sudden drawing a blank. There's Walk, Walk, Walk. God's Not Dead is always a good one. Do you remember? You guys probably don't know. At your age, I was singing that song. God's Not Dead. I've known that song that long. Huh? What? Ha, ha, ha. God's not dead. got like five minutes so you get two more songs we're marching in the light of God All right, is that one is that one or no how does that one go I don't know I always need Betty here to no that's just we are marching just standing here but you guys want to do that one what's the one that goes around don't you guys remember that one how does it go? Well, I know that's how the motions go, but how do the how does the song go? No.
I cannot think of it right now. I know. I can't. I can't remember. I I can hear the sound of the armies of the Lord. Okay, you guys, gonna go. Who's gonna lead it? Oh, well, let's go. I can hear the sound of the army of. Ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never soar or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I second verse right that's it okay that's it huh i may never take a trip to mexico ride a donkey oh so slow eat a juicy taco i may never wear a big sombrero but i'm in the lord's army senor i'm in the lord's army senor I'm in the Lord's army, Senor. I may never take a trip to Mexico, ride a donkey, eat a juicy taco. I may never wear a big sombrero, but I'm in the Lord's army, Senor. I'm going to try to get my kids to take a trip to Mexico this year. Mm-hmm. Eat a juicy taco and wear a big sombrero. I don't know about the donkey. We might not ride a donkey. What's oh, a sombrero? It's a big old hat. All right, one more song. What you got? Wrapped up, tied up. But we do that every Sunday. Jesus loves me. That's a good song to end on. Okay. See? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me.
feel like that song is too below you, Lukey? That's too, like, childish? Is that right? Do you know what the Bible says? Hmm. Except we become as little children. Now, they're not talking little children like Lukey size. Maybe they're talking little children more like Benny size. So, except we become as little children, we shall not enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm little. I'm little. But so how does that mean? How can that, how can that relate? How do you think that means it? Do we all have to be size of Benny? No, we can't. No, we can't all be the size of Benny. So how can we be little children? Except we become as little children. How can we become little children? No, not the age. Not the size. So if you're embarrassed by something that little children do, but we're supposed to become like little children, how does that work? Do you think you can love Jesus at your, at your age and size just as much as your dad and mom do at their size? Mm-hmm. So it's our love, it's our testimony of Christ within us. Little children have no, like you can... One second, I'll see my boys, whoomp, and mad at each other. The next second, you throw a pack of Smarties in the middle of them, and then they'll, well, if they both want Smarties, then they share, and then they're all happy with each other again, right? So how is it, how is it that little children can do that? Because they don't have, you guys don't hold many grudges. You just don't. If I, can, if I accidentally hurt Benny playing with him, he doesn't hold it against me very long. If I hurt John while playing with him, well, it'll be many a year before John plays with me again. So, how do we become like little children? You guys are understanding this at all? No, didn't think so. Lukey, understanding this at all? Can you sing Jesus Loves Me? Why not? Why? We could sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. So, how is it a baby? Do, you, do we say, do you tell Jesus ever that you love him? Do you? Do you ever tell Jesus that you love him? Do you tell your mom and dad that you love them? Do they tell you that they love you? Is that childish and babyish for them to tell you that they love you? No. How is it? It's just saying that Jesus loves you. How is it childish to be that Jesus loves you? Oh, well, I ain't going to get anywhere here. It's not. I used to feel the same way at your age, unfortunately. I'm not going to deny it. But, okay, here we go. John wants to help sing Jesus Loves Me. Okay. You might have to sit on him to get him. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yeah. 
Wow. Good. He sang the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be afraid to sing that Jesus loves you. That's the greatest thing you can know in all your life is that he loves you. That's what I'm trying to say in a nutshell. Okay. You guys can go back. Shirt's down. Thanks, Ben. How many of you here know that Jesus loves you? You know it now? <laughs> you know, that is the greatest thing to know. And not only that he loves us, but that he is sovereign. Michael, do you know what sovereign means? You can tell who can tell me what sovereign means? What does it mean when we say that God is sovereign? The Bible talks about that. Maybe we have to move up to some of the adults here. Who can define the word sovereign for us? Do we have to go to the preacher for that? <laughs> okay. Okay. These, are, these all fit in there. He, can, he controls everything. I like, I like to look at it this way, and this isn't necessarily how the dictionary might uh, describe it, but no matter what happens, God can control everything, and nothing that happens along the way can destroy God's plan. We can't do something that all of a sudden God says, well... Look at John down there. He did just this and this and this and destroyed my whole plan. God is sovereign over everything and whatever we do, he is bigger and stronger than that. And I was thinking about that in relation to our country and the elections and, and these things happening. Did you know, you know, sometimes when we approach these, uh, these kind of things in life, we think, wow, you know, there's nothing like this has ever happened before. We've never had uh, such a time as this. Well, let me take you back a couple thousand years here. You remember, here's another question for the kids. Do you remember who the first king of Israel was? Who was the first king? Who can tell me that? Who was the very first king of Israel? Anybody know? Saul. Okay. What happened? Do you remember the story of Saul? What, what happened? Why was, why was he all of a sudden king? They didn't have a king before that. Do you remember? Remember what happened? They wanted a king. You remember what God told them when they said they wanted a king? 
Yeah, he told him a lot of things like that. That's in uh, in First Samuel. I'm not sure what the chapter was anymore. I was just reading it this morning. But uh, children of Israel came to, to the prophet Samuel at the, at the time and said, Look, we want a king. We want to be like the nations all around us. God said, I don't want you to have a king. I want to be your king. I don't want this to... This is, not, this is not my plan for you. But I said, nope, we want a king. So God told Samuel, hey, I'm, here's what you're supposed to tell him. You give him all this long list of things that's going to happen if, if I give them a king. And he did. They, he talked about um, making slaves out of them, and he's going to take all their, he's going to charge all kinds of taxes, essentially. And there was a long list of things. This is what's going to happen. What did the people say? Nope, give us a king. We don't care. We want a king anyway. So what did God do? He gave them a king. He gave them what they wanted. Now, remember, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't God's perfect plan for them. He wanted, he wanted to be their king. He didn't really want them to have an earthly king. He wanted to be their king. Now, what happened? Did God say, well, forget about them. They just ruined my whole plan. Is that what he did? Do you know what, you want to, do you know what came out of that mistake that they made? Who was, who was the next king? Who was the second king of Israel? David. And who was the most famous descendant of David. Jesus. So out of that mistake that Israel made of having kings, God used that to bring Jesus to the world. Isn't that amazing? It didn't destroy his plan. He used it to build his plan. And do we think it's any less, anything less than that today? It's not. And no matter what happens in any election across the world, no matter what happens in election day here on Tuesday, it's not going to change God's plan. Even if there are bad things or whatever that come out of it, depending on your political persuasion, you think one way is horrible or the other way is, is going to be horrible. And there may be bad things that happen either way. But you know what? That's not going to hinder God's plan. And that encouraged me so much this week to, to think about that. And that's not to say we don't need to care what happens. That's not to say you don't need to vote if God uh, lays that on your heart and you can do that and, and you know, pray what God would have, have you to do with that. That's all well and good. But remember, God's plan is not going to be thwarted by what happens this week. And that's encouraging to me. And like I've mentioned previous weeks leading up to this, we are commanded to pray, 
pray that God's will would be done, and most of all, pray that we can live peaceable lives to serve God. And that's my desire, and, and I think that's for each one of us here. So a little bit of encouragement this morning that uh, I found uh, to be encouraging to me this week. Well, thank you all for coming. It's good to have you here. Sam and Gail, it's good to have you back again after uh, several months in the Dakotas, so welcome back. And uh, Tim, it's good to see you here with us again, so welcome everybody. Let's just uh, have a good time worshiping the Lord together and listening to what he has to share in his word. So, before Phil comes to share the word with us, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day that you have blessed us with. Thank you for this time that we can come together to worship you, to sing, to praise you, and to hear from your word. And I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you this morning, and that we would be changed by our gathering here today. I thank you, Father, for your sovereignty, and that you are overall, and that nothing that we do will thwart your plan, that you are in total control. And I pray once again that that would be evident in our lives and in this country and in these elections this week. We would know that you are totally in control and that your will will be accomplished and that your plan will continue to go forward. I pray that we would be able to live quiet and peaceable lives and to be able to freely continue to serve you as you call us to. I pray for Phil as he brings your word this morning, that you would give him the words to speak. I pray that we would hear from you through him this morning. I pray that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord's been putting a word on my heart this week out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just grab this here. Thank you. And I just want to read it to you, brothers and sisters, to encourage us and remind us of our mission, our commission from our Lord. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what happens when the Lord makes you right with him. He doesn't just make you right with him and then says, okay, go live happily ever after. He does it for a reason. He commissions a ministry to you and me. A ministry that has a word like this. Namely, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is it, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating others through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I don't know if you knew this, but you are called to be a beggar. We are commissioned to become beggars to others, to beg people to be reconciled to God. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This week, the boys and I had a unique experience. We were at a gas station filling up with fuel in Fort Collins and uh, just as we got back into the truck, there was, uh, there was a car who came roaring out of the pumps and all of a sudden there were four or five cars just crashing into each other and pushing this dodged car, charger car up over the berm and there were cops jumping out of these cars with guns, machine guns and yelling and screaming at this guy and the guy comes out with his hands up and there must have been 30 cop cars there just surrounding the place and we found ourselves in the middle of the scene and later I, I read how that this guy had shot someone in Old Town Fort Collins and was arrested and they, they busted him right there and then this morning I was walking Bosker, our dog and out here just one block down the whole SWAT team and about I don't know how many police cars, lots of them were, were surrounding the house and one of the Older folks here told me someone just shot two people and killed them. And they're trying to get this guy. Uh, he had barricaded himself in the house. And dear brothers and sisters, we live in this world. And I don't know about you, but there's something about me that can just keep right on walking my dog and minding my own business. You find that? You can actually walk right past a scene like that and not really care. I'm just minding my own business and walking my dog. And then I'm going to go have church with my nice people that I love and the rest of the world can go to hell. I find that in my heart. And it so gripped me this week again that though this, this message, this commission has been given to me personally by Jesus. When you become a new creature, this is what happens. Jesus says to you and me, I'm giving you a commission. Here's the Bible, my letter of love to your world. Go tell them. Go tell your word, your world, that I want to reconcile them and make them right with me so they don't need to live this way. Father, I pray that today you would, in a renewed way, Share this commission to every one of us as your children. And let it so sink into our hearts as if you came down in a real body and stood in front of us and spoke to each one of us, looking us in the eye and giving us your word and commissioning us with this word to our world. 
I pray you would do it in spirit and in truth today to each one of us and send us forth as ambassadors for you to our broken and dying world. In Jesus' name. We're going through the Gospel of John, chapter 5. And I felt like I needed to do this because I needed it, but also because this is the whole purpose of why we're even doing this. I don't know why you're doing this, why you come to God's Word, but I find in myself that many times I come for myself. I come like I come to the table. I don't know if you guys come and sit down at your table, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, wherever you eat. But you come up to the meal because you're hungry. Right? You're hungry. Pass the food, please. And it delights you when you get to go first. Yes. I get to eat first. You come with a motive of self-gratification. I come because I need it. Now that's not all wrong. You do need it. That's the truth. You and I need to eat God's word to live. We need to eat food or we will die. But the motive, the overwhelming thought process of why I come, that, my dear brother, sister, will kill you. It'll turn you into a spiritual glutton, which makes you lazy, overfilled, and lazy, and self-centered. And eventually, you'll die in your house a 600-pounder, spiritual glutton. You'll die in your own life, a spiritual gluttony. But if you and I learn to come to God's table... So that we can eat. So that we can receive strength to go and share that strength with others. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, he gives us the reason to work. Work hard with your own hands, he has, he says, so that you may have to give to those in need. Is that why you work? Or do you go to work every day thinking about what you want to get that day so you can buy what you want? Or do you go with the motive, I work hard today so that I may give to those who are in need around me. And this is the motive of when we come to God's word and we begin to read and take in God's word because we live in such a broken world that needs Jesus. And Lord, you told me to be ready to share a word if someone asks me today of the hope that lies in me. And so I come not for myself only. Sure, it does save me, but I come for a word of hope to share with someone today, and I walk through my day saying, Lord, give me the opportunity to share your word. I don't know what the Lord's going to do yet with these two experiences he gave to me this week, but I know they're not useless and empty experiences. God sovereignly put me in the middle of these people's lives, these two murderers' lives. I'm really asking the Lord 
open the door for me to speak to these two men. They need Jesus. And you left me know about them. They're my neighbor. This one's my neighbor. And this one happened although just down the road from my office. There's a reason that the Lord brought that experience into my life. And I have good news that I can share with them the life of Jesus. So you can pray with me about that. I remember David, the testimony of David Wilkerson. Many of you have heard of that name. The only reason we know his name today is because he was so gripped with the news of murderers. What was it, five or six boys in New York City? And he was a pastor of a little church in Pennsylvania. And he read it in the newspaper. You remember the testimony? And he was so gripped by this, he couldn't let go of this news. He cared about these boys. And so as he began to pray to God, his father, saying, how can I make a difference in these young men's lives? The Lord said, go to the trial. Go to their trial. And so he packs up and he tries to go to the trial and there were all kinds of obstacles in his way where people said, no, you can't, no. But he, through this Holy Spirit moving him with his burden of love for these young men, wouldn't give up and he kept pressing his way and knocking on doors and asking the Lord for direction. And, and the Lord used that love, that Love, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constrains us. It's like it puts us into our harness and it propels us into someone's life with this good news. And today we know his name well in Christianity because of that obedient love that David had for those souls. And if you haven't read the book, or his testimony lately, I encourage you to do so. May it inspire you and I to know this and to act on this. The great word of commission that Jesus has given to you personally. And this is how the Lord reminded me again. And that's why I pray like this. When you and I are made a new creature in Jesus Christ, it's as if Jesus himself comes and he stands right in front of you. And he says, this is my word now for you. Go give it to your world. Go give it to your world. Share this good news. Don't hold it just within you. It'll die. It'll stink like worms after a while. Go share it. And David did that. And to this day, his life's work continues in the middle of New York City called Times Square Church, still preaching that same gospel. And the Lord took him through that burden to the most, at that time, seemingly the most difficult crowd he could have taken him to, right? These young men who were thugs, who were roaming the streets of New York, who would have shot and killed it without even thinking about it, just to preserve their own life, but they were broken souls. That's what David seen. The hurting, broken soul inside the facade of toughness and brutality. And when you and I begin to see that through the eyes of God, how he looks at this soul he created, then we can begin to make a difference. Jesus lived this way. 
And today in John chapter 5, we're going to notice what Jesus did, how he acted out on this. And we're going to notice a few ingredients in Jesus' heart, things that as a man, and yet because of his focused obedience on his heavenly father, this God-man, Jesus Christ, acted out his life, lived his life in such a way that you and I today are here because of it. And it made a difference in everyone's life whom he came in contact with. In John chapter 5, verse 1, After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticles. Lucas and I watched a little video clip, by the way, you can Google this. The pool at Bethesda. And it's an interesting article um, where they take you back and they've unearthed parts of this pool. And you can get a greater picture of this if you have some time. In these five porches or porticles lay a multitude of those who were sick. Now when the Bible uses a multitude, it's more than five or ten. It's many people. So can you imagine Jesus walking into this place and there are five large like patios around this pool in the center and it's filled with people who are sick. It's not people who are whole, it's people who are sick. A multitude of those who were sick, they were blind, they were lame, some couldn't walk, others couldn't see, they were withered, their hands or their legs, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool, and he stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up the water, stepped in, was made well. This was a miracle place. There was a reason all these sick people were here. There was a potential of becoming well, completely healed. Can you imagine as a blind person, and someone, maybe, maybe your parents or your family took you to the pool, Bethesda, just for the hope that whenever the water stirs and you hear it, you quickly, you quickly grope your way. And if you get to fall into that water first, I can see. Or if you were lame, all of a sudden, you were healed. There must have been a lot of anticipation as they say, the air was charged in this place. When's the angel coming? When's it coming? When's it coming? And into this very place, Jesus, the Son of God, walks into it. He had the authority and the power to heal the multitude right then and there. He healed people every day. But I want to notice, note something to you. Only one was healed that we can read of. Of the multitude of sick people. There's a reason Jesus healed this person. The story behind the story is what I want to open to you this today. And show you what this person received from Jesus. Which was much greater than the physical healing he received from him. And a certain man, verse 5, was there. Who had been 38 years in his sickness 
Now the man, I'm assuming, was maybe in his 40s or 50s. Maybe perhaps 50s. I don't know when he got this sickness, but it doesn't say he had it all his life. But he had it for a long time, 38 years, this man had this sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? What a strange question. Sometimes Jesus asks questions in the most bizarre, like a rhetorical question, like, come on, Jesus, of course. What do you think I'm here? This whole place is about people who want to get well. If I wouldn't want to get well, do you think I'd be here? I want to note something to you. Jesus will ask sometimes the most offensive questions or say the most, what could be, humanly, the most offensive word. Like we've seen last Sunday, how he spoke to the man in verse 46 and so on of chapter 4, the man whose son was dying and he comes to Jesus and he says, come down and heal my son or he's going to die. And Jesus says, unless you see a sign, you won't believe. What a harsh, offensive word Jesus gave to this man. But his son was healed. He got his sign. Now Jesus shows up to this man and he says, do you want to be made well? You see, Jesus was getting, going deeper than just the outward experience that seemed of why this man was here. Jesus was asking Sir, do you really want to get well? And I think this man knew what was Jesus was after because this man was sick for a reason. Have you seen that reason? The sick man answered, Sir, you see how you didn't answer him? He didn't answer Jesus directly. He beats around the bush. Sir, I have no one. No man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. This thing was going on for most, maybe 38 years of his life that he would try to get to the pool and he'd always miss it. He'd always miss it. Jesus said to him, verse 8, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. He gives the man the desire of his life. Just get up and walk. Apparently the man was lame. He couldn't walk. That was his problem. Now it was on the Sabbath. On that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him, who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. And the Jews had this rule that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. But more than you couldn't work, they defined what that looked like. What you all couldn't do, and one of the things was, you were not allowed to carry your bed on the Sabbath. They had like little cots that they would sleep on, and they weren't allowed to carry that around. And this man was carrying it, because Jesus had told him to. He was going home, but he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed, did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. 
Afterwards, Jesus found him, verse 14, in the temple and said to him, Look, you've been made well. Behold, look at yourself. Have you been made well? You have been. Then Jesus says this, speaks directly into his heart. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may come to you. You see, Jesus goes right to the issue of why the man was there. I don't know what the man had done. It doesn't tell us what his sin was that had crippled him. Maybe he had gotten into a fight and he was wounded. Maybe he had some kind of bitterness in his heart. Some, some sin in his life had led him to this condition. Jesus never wasted a word. And he most certainly wouldn't have charged this man with sin if there wouldn't have been sin there. So what Jesus did to this man was really important. And that is why he, I believe, went to this man and left all the others there sick. This man needed something more than just healing. He needed the touch of Jesus' forgiveness in his life. And he experienced it. He was not only healed on the outside, his legs. He was healed on the inside. He had experienced a deliverance from the bondage of sin in his life, from the crippling effect that his sin had on his physical body. And every one of us, dear brother, sister, are crippled by sin. We are crippled by our sinful nature. We're crippled by our sinful way of thinking. We're crippled and hindered in our life by our sinful way of talking. We create an atmosphere in our, light, in our life, in our homes, in our workplace, because we speak sinfully. We create... A, a, a sinful life because we act out on our fleshly desires of selfishness and our selfish motives and putting others back behind and pressing to be first in our life. And this man, he was healed. Jesus not only healed him physically, but he set him free from the effects of sin in his life. And dear brother, sister, if you and I are released from the bondage of the sinful effect on our lives, we are set free indeed. Jesus says later on in John, I think chapter 8, he says, For whom the Son of Man sets free, he sets free for real. Inside, you're set free. And if you haven't been set free, dear brother, sister, Come to Jesus and ask Him, not just for the physical healing, not for something outward in your life that you so much want, the money to pay your bills or the needs in your life. Or Yes, you can ask Him for those, but come for the real thing, to be set free from the sinful effects of your tongue, of your eyes of your actions, of your motives, of your flesh, to be set free from that bondage. And Jesus will set you free indeed. The man went away, verse 15, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. There is a similar story of where Jesus also healed another man in Luke chapter 5. And here, I'm going to read this story to you because, again, it sets the challenge in front of us of the importance of forgiveness in our life and how it sets us free even from physical bondages. In Luke chapter 5, I'm going to begin to read um, in verse 17. And it came about one day that he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And listen to this. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. The power of the Lord was present there in that room. And Jesus sensed it. Lord, Father, you want me to heal someone here today. Who is it? Someone needs Forgiveness. Someone is seeking forgiveness here today. Who is it? And behold, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in, to set him down in front of him. He wasn't in the room. That someone wasn't there yet. And not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher right in the center in front of Jesus. They began to tear off the roof and let the man down. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, you're healed. Is that what he said? That's not what Jesus said. Because that's not what the man needed most. What the man needed most was what Jesus addressed to him. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Which is easier? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up and take your stretcher and go home. And at once he rose up before them and took up what had been, he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And they were all seized with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. What had they seen? What had they seen that astonished them? A man being healed and getting up and walking? No. These people had followed Jesus for a long time now. They've seen that every day. What had they seen that so amazed them and filled them with awe? That word fear is a awe. It puts you kind of, have you ever been spellbound with awe? 
When you've seen something so awesome, it's so much bigger than you are, and you don't quite understand it, you're just like, oh, wow. That's that word fear. They were struck, awestruck. You know what they had seen? Something they had never seen before. A man forgiven of his sins. For real. Now we live on this side of the cross. And we experience forgiveness of sins regularly. But dear brother, sister, this is why it so gripped my heart this week. We live in a world of unforgiven men and women. Men and women who are so unforgiven, so filled with condemned condemnation, they are feeling so condemned that they just live in that world. And they take it out on others. And even as Christians, we live among other Christians and perhaps even with ourselves where areas in our life are unforgiven. And I warn you, if you live with an unforgiven area in your life, that, as the Bible says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. A little sin in your heart begins to spread like cancer through your body unless it's cut out, unless it's treated and suppressed. Unless it's eradicated and, and dealt with in our lives, this unforgiveness begins to act itself out in other people and affecting other people. And this is why Jesus seen it's the greatest need these two men had. They lived with the effects of sin. Before Jesus could deal with the effect, he had to forgive the sin. And so I encourage you, if you're dealing with the effects of sin in your life, the first step you need is forgiveness from Jesus. You need to meet Him, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and let Him hear and hear Him say to you, your sins are forgiven. And to know and experience the joy that these two men experience from Jesus, their sins were actually forgiven, and they knew it. They didn't walk out, in, out of this house, this man didn't walk out feeling half condemned, feeling weird, and I don't know if every sin's forgiven. He knew he was free, for real. What Jesus had said, whom the Son of Man sets free, he is free indeed. And that's why he went out with so much joy. The first thing I see in this chapter is a hearing faith. And I want to continue reading through this. Look, these men heard the voice of Jesus and they responded and in set them free from sin in their life and the effects on them. For this cause, in verse 18, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because, not just because he was breaking the Sabbath, not because he had healed someone, but because but also because he was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So Jesus told him his secret. Sometimes Jesus does this in the most peculiar way. He comes to us and he shares a secret. And it's in such a way that many miss it. 
they miss it completely. And so they continue to live in darkness rather than in the light of the truth that Jesus just spoke to them. Look at this. Verse 19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives, life, gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And that's exactly what happened here. This man passed out. He didn't come into Jesus' judgment. He came into his mercy and he received life. And he passed out of the death sentence that was on him for 38 years. And he stepped into life. He got a new ticket on life. (gasps) Because his sins were forgiven. That's why. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You see, it's when you and I Hear the voice of Jesus. Not just read this book like a textbook, but we hear his voice. In John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They hear it. You hear his voice within your heart. And he speaks directly into your sinful heart, into the deepest need where you failed the most, into the condemnation you're living with. That's where Jesus speaks into his words of eternal life. And he says, if you hear my word, my father, and you believe the father, God himself is speaking this word. All of heaven, God and the Lord Jesus are testifying. This is true in heaven for you. And you believe that? You'll pass out of that death sentence into the life of Jesus Christ. It's forgiveness. But it's also more than just forgiveness. We see this in Acts chapter 26 in Paul's life. I want to just for a moment take you back into Paul's life. In the early book of Acts, we find in Acts chapter 7, here's this young man, Paul or Saul, and he's standing there and Stephen's being stoned. And they're laying their coats there and he must have been You're all into it. Yes, he said, I was affirming his death. And in that spirit, it tells us in Acts chapter 8, that Saul was mad. 
against the, the people of God, mad against the Christians. He was angry at them, determined to kill them all and destroy and eradicate this, what was called the way. And then something happened. Someone spoke to Paul in his madness, in his rage, in his determination, in his own righteousness. He was sure he was right. In his zeal to do what he thought was right. And Saul has got a commission from the high priest and he's going out to even foreign cities with this zeal. I'm going to go and I'm going to imprison these people. Saul had a motive. And then someone spoke. Just like that. In Acts chapter 8, a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul goes, who are you? And he's the only one who heard the voice. The others saw a great light. But it so affected him that it shut him down. And it tells us in Acts chapter 8 that Jesus said to him, go into the city. It'll be told you what you must do. But that was just part of what Jesus said because later in Acts chapter 26, he tells us a little more of what Jesus said to him. He tells King Agrippa. And there in his testimony to the king, he says this in Acts chapter 26. He tells us a little more of what he heard Jesus say to him. <clears throat> Verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness. Minister is the word servant. A servant, one who will serve me. And a witness, one who gives testimony of me. That's what witnesses do when in a court trial, if you have witnesses, they're called up to be a witness. They're supposed to say what they've seen and heard that brings forth the evidence against this person. And so Jesus was telling Paul, I'm not just doing this for you. This is the purpose of me getting your attention today is I'm talking to you because of what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to make you a witness for me. Not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the dominion or the reign of Satan to God. In order that they may receive. Look at his message. This is the purpose. I'm sending you, Jesus told him, right here on the road of Damascus. He heard Jesus say this. I'm sending you, Paul, to other people so that they can receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And he says, to, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. This changed Saul's life forever. 
It changed his whole mission of life. It changed everything about him. And it so gripped him that he goes into the city and for three days he fasts and he prays. We don't know what he all heard there. And what he all heard for the next seemingly about 10 years that he went back to Tarsus, to his hometown, and learned to walk with Jesus. But we do know the result, don't we? In Galatians chapter 1, he says, The gospel I received, I didn't get it from men. I didn't hear it from men. In chapter 2, he says, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to learn it from the apostles. I got it because I got a heavenly vision. Jesus spoke to me. And he kept speaking. And that's how I kept living my life. By what Jesus kept saying to me. And I kept obeying Jesus, what I heard him say to me. You see, this wasn't new with Apostle Paul. Jesus, right here in John chapter 5, is saying to the Jews, you know why I'm doing this? Because I hear my Father saying, and I see my Father doing it, and I'm obedient to my Heavenly Father. Jesus, the example of this kind of way of living, set the example for Apostle Paul and for many, many others, all who are called by his name. The three things that I see that Jesus came to do to these people, and he still has come to do, he has commissioned Paul to preach it in his life, and every one of us have received the same commission. Number one, that Jesus has the authority to forgive your sin. He has come to forgive sins. And Apostle Paul, in all of his sins of persecuting Jesus, that day was absolutely and completely forgiven. He was forgiven. Jesus confronted him and forgave him. And with that forgiveness as his confidence, Apostle Paul became the disciple of Jesus Christ that we know him to be today and shared out of that life, his testimony, and many other words from heaven. Oh, there's so much more, but dear brother, sister, that's step one. That is what you and I must experience with Jesus. Forgiveness. And then that becomes our message to others. That's what gripped David Wilkerson with such a love for these young people. That's what gripped me this week for these two murderers. And I don't know how the Lord's going to live that out or if he'll give me a chance to share the good news with them. But this is why we're here. To share the forgiveness of Jesus and the difference it can make in their lives. And in John chapter 8, Jesus did it to another person, the woman who was caught in adultery, in sin. The sin that was worthy to be stoned. And Jesus said to her again, I forgive you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. When we follow the voice of Jesus out of darkness into the light of forgiveness, we also, it changes our whole life. Look at how it changed Apostle Paul's whole life. Completely changed his life. That love constrained him now with the message of forgiveness, but it also affected his personal life. His personal life, he wasn't persecuting the Christians anymore. He was now 
following Jesus and it led him into a whole new personal life as well. And it will you and I too. In Ezekiel chapter 18, sometime when you have a chance, you should read this story. And God speaks of forgiveness. And there he says, when he forgives a person, his sins will not be remembered anymore. I like how the King James puts it. They will never be mentioned to him again. Do you forgive that way? Or do you bring up the old sins when you get angry with somebody? Your children or someone else? Yeah, well, I remember what he did. Maybe you haven't met a person for a long time. And you've said you've forgiven them. But then you see them. What happens? Does that memory flood your body? If it does, it will cripple you right there in that relationship. It'll cripple your tongue. It'll cripple your actions, how you relate to that person. The whole atmosphere changes immediately when the memory of that sin against you floods your soul. But if you at that moment in faith say, Father, I forgive them. It releases your soul from the crippling effect of this relationship. And the other soul may be in bondage or other people around it, but you are free from the effects. Because forgiveness sets you free. And in Matthew 18, he tells us exactly. He uses the analogy of slaves because that's where forgiveness is most important. It sets a slave free. And it still does that today to you and I. Oh, I could continue on with the example of many others throughout the scriptures. And there's this beautiful story in Zechariah chapter 3 that you should read when you have some time of what it did to Joshua the high priest. And how he stood before the Lord and Satan was condemning him before the Lord. And, and he, was, he was worthy to be condemned. He was in filthy garments. That means he had gotten filthy. But the Lord forgave Joshua. Put new garments on him. He clothed him in, it says, festal robes. Put joy in his spirit. And then he put a turban on his head. He gave him a ministry. And he gave him a work to do in his house. And Satan's voice was silenced. This is so important, dear brother, sister. This is what Jesus came to do to every one of us. To forgive us. To silence the voice of Satan's condemnation in our lives. And to give us a work to do in his kingdom. The voice... A word of reconciliation. There's a man that I've been reading a book for some time now. I've read this book many years ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Henry Skogel. He was born in 1650. And this young man died at the age of 28. The book that he wrote that is probably the most well-known uh, article that he wrote was called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. George Whitfield said this, I never knew what true religion was till God sent me this excellent treatise. But Henry Skogel writes this word, and if you want to read about his life, you can Google it, and then you can find this book on Amazon as well. He calls it a reciprocal love. 
This is what Jesus does for us. He said, again, love is accompanied with trouble when it misseth a suitable return of affection. Love is the most valuable thing we can bestow. And by giving it, we do, in effect, give all that we have. And therefore, it must needs be afflicting to find so great a gift despised that the, pre- that the present which one hath made of his whole heart cannot prevail to obtain any return. Perfect love is a kind of self-dereliction, a wandering out of ourselves. It is a kind of voluntary death wherein the lover dies to himself and all his own interests, not thinking of them, nor caring for them anymore, and minding nothing but how he may please and gratify the party whom he loves. This he is quite undone. Thus, he is quite undone, unless he meets with reciprocal affection. Now, hold off there because you might get bored on me. But that's exactly what happened with Apostle Paul. He found the love of his life and he met Jesus and great forgiveness. Paul talks about it to Timothy. He says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst person alive because I persecuted the church. But I found forgiveness. And so Paul opened his heart and he gave that love back to Jesus. And that's what real forgiveness does for you and I. When we experience the love that forgives the chiefest sin you've ever committed. It's complete. That love comes in and it becomes reciprocal. It goes back to the one who gave it to you. With a life of outpouring of that love to others. So I encourage you, dear brother, sister... If you've heard about the life of Jesus Christ, if you've been born of His Spirit, and you've experienced that love, but that love has kind of become self-preserving, self-sustaining. You come to the table because I'm hungry. I want to eat. Or you come to the table to eat so that you can go bless others, to revive yourself so you can go and bless That's where Jesus wants to take you and I today. And whatever happens in our world, Jesus takes us every day into the circumstances, like Carrie was saying, into those people to share the gospel, to give that reciprocal love to others. It may be a murder. It may be six boys, five or six boys in New York City, like it was for... um, David Workerson. It may just be your husband or your wife. It may be your children. It may be your neighbor next door. But it will be everyone who comes into your life every day. And you'll begin to agree with Apostle Paul. I am a debtor to all men. What was he in debt to them with? The love of Jesus Christ. He said, I owe no man anything but to love one another. He's seen himself in debt to share this love he had experienced and give that message of forgiveness to them. God bless.